Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Hi, everyone. This is Martin Willis with the Antique Auction Forum, episode 97 today. We are on Stitcher now. If you are listening to us on Stitcher, thank you. A lot of people are. You can jump on our website, which is antiqueauctionforum.com. Check out our message board. Today's guest is Kate Manko. She is a young antiques dealer, a folk art dealer. I should say an American folk art dealer. Very talented, smart, and uh, funny, and a great guest. So here's episode number 97. So I'm here in Wells, Maine with the folk art expert, I want to call you. <laughs> Thank you. And dealer, Kate Manko. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Kate? Good, how are you? <laughs> great. And uh, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast together is, uh, well... I'm going to be frank with you. You're young. Yes. <laughs> and um, there's not too many young people in the business. There's and not. when you and I first connected, I think it was through, you listened to a podcast, I believe it was. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. I listened to your podcast. And uh, I think it's great. And you have wonderful parents. Thank I've you. known uh, Ken and Ida <laughs> for many years. And uh, they have great taste. And I'm just going to say, uh, we're in this setting here where there's their home, some wonderful folk art pieces, weather vanes, a nice steel plate weather vane. I love that one behind. Always uh, thought your parents had some wonderful taste, and it's so nice to see that you got the bug. Yes. Yeah. I Well, I grew up in this environment, so I almost don't know any other way. Yeah. Um, and you don't realize it until you invite other people who have had no exposure into your home and mm-hmm. they look around and they're afraid to sit down. They don't know how to interact <laughs> with what's in your house. And yeah. I'm so used to it. Yeah. You know, I'm very proud to say that as a child playing in this kind of a home with folk art and things that could be broken. And that's a really bad thing. Yeah. You know, knock on wood, I never broke anything. <laughs> You know, you should never say that. Though. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, so, I think I remember you just, I was here like 20-something years, mm-hmm. 20 I'm, years yeah, ago. Yeah, well, I'm 30 years old. Yeah. And so I just that's true. Barely, I just yeah. kind of barely remember some little square running around. Had to Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when did you decide that you wanted to actually pursue this line? You went to, you went to school. I went away to school. Um, I took a year off between high school and uh, college. And I chose to go away to Syracuse University. I studied communication and music industry, which is the music business. Um, And I originally thought I wanted to get into journalism or something along those lines. And um, I got out of school and the music business was taking a different turn because that was just after Napster and everything was going digital. And that wasn't what I was passionate about in the music business. And, um, and so I came home and one thing I started to realize about myself was that I liked being around the kind of eccentric people that the art business has. And that mm-hmm. I liked, 
um, the idea of being self-employed, and I liked to travel, and there was all these things that growing up in this household I was exposed to, but never knew how much I wanted, you know, when it was time to grow up, mm-hmm. and that's something that really kick-started my interest of, well, I like to travel, I like to look at these things, I like to buy these things, I like to sell these things, and I've always had my hand in it in some sort of way. I've been a collector since I was a child. Really? Um, I've had, I had the first ever student exhibit at Syracuse, and they they have a wonderful museum there, but they had never had a student um, have their own collection in mm. their, their museum, so they sought me out on campus. You know, you never know who's looking for you, but I had my first ever exhibit there, um, and I've had several exhibits since then of my collection that I started since I was five. Do you remember what you first started collecting? I first started collecting um, folk art animals. Little, little carved animals? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a case full of them over here. Oh, That's just a little I was looking bit. at those. Yeah. Some really nice ones. And I think I was collecting... Things that were just youthful and young and fun and mm. all these things that I had seen in Maine and um, I was just looking. I, I, I guess I was just looking for all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I never really went to the circus and did all these things. And I think I was collecting the things I was maybe missing out on as a kid. Mm. You know, <laughs> because I was going to antique shows with mom and dad, and I was going to auctions and. Yeah. Just very different things. You know, I spent a lot of time with my parents, and I'm very thankful for it um, because it gave me such exposure at a young age, and mm-hmm. I was taking it all in and didn't even know it. Yeah. You know? Can you describe just some listeners out there possibly, because um, they get listened to in other countries and things like that, what would you consider American folk art in a nutshell? Is there um, a nutshell you can put, put it in? Well, to me, it, it's... It's naive, it's, um, it's weather veins, it's sculptures, it's carvings, um, it's something that somebody did, maybe it's one of a kind, you mm-hmm. may never see it again, and to me, how do you put a price on that, yeah. you know? Um, and it's mostly done by artists who aren't necessarily trained, didn't go to school, mm-hmm. and just did it for whatever reason they wanted to. And it has history to it, um, provenance, things that people keep, and most of the time they don't even know what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to me, that's folk art. Now, there's uh, sometimes they're accompanied with real fascinating stories, though. Certain absolutely. absolutely. Does anything come to mind? Can you think of anything in particular? Um, well, geez, there's so many. There's uh, to me, my favorite stories have always been just the ones that are what people truly love mm-hmm. and they bought it because they like it and they owned it for however long and where I see the separation now and the difference in generations is that like maybe the kids don't want it the kids don't yeah. feel that way mm-hmm. the way the parents feel or and they have no one to give it to and to me that's that's really sad yeah you know yeah so what I always enjoyed about the business was the story Mm-hmm. And how long it lives on with the piece, right, right? And that's 
to me one of the greatest things and I, I like I said I always feel so bad when somebody doesn't want something hmm. it's good for a dealer yeah. but yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know there's always some there's an element of happiness and sadness I think in yeah. all of that right now we deal in things that are, are considered perceived value mm -hmm. a lot of things are mm -hmm. um, how difficult is it to price a unique guy I when I'm doing an appraisal it's not easy it's not so how do you how do you uh, decide how to price certain things well I think you have to take the emotion out of it which mm -hmm. I think is someone if they're bringing you a piece there is they're bringing their emotion with it some mm -hmm. of the time absolutely and um, and I think you have to take the emotion out of it and then I think you really have to think about the market and I think it depends on is there is there somebody who's going to want this or am I the only one that thinks this is important? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I, I really think you got to do your homework. You really got to look at the past, look at what's happening and think about, well, what's the next phase? And really? I, like I, yeah. I really mm -hmm. think that it's, it's hard to put a price on folk art if you want to compare it to something like the contemporary and the modern market. Because this isn't necessarily mass-produced. Mm -hmm. This is one of a kind. Um, this has history. This is a whole other life form. But the prices are completely different. Right. Yeah. And the audience is different most of the time. Mm -hmm. So you really, really have to think about it. This is not just a overnight thought. Sure. I think, I think these days, right now, we're where the market is and everything that's it's that's really important you must have to have a really good memory for who wants what you do and you can uh, do you buy on speculation a lot of times i do i i buy um my the clients that i work with i feel buy for their personality which can you know makes it a little bit easy mm -hmm. and there it's I'm buying things for them that they like. So if I know what they like, then it's it's usually a given. It's I know you'll like it, and they do, and it works out. Now, the clients that maybe don't have a focus yet, but are just starting to buy, and they're not sure what they like, I mean, you have to throw a lot of stuff their way to kind of get a feel for it, and then eventually, you know, it works out. You put together a great collection. But... Um, you know, I find it I find it a little bit easier when someone buys what they like. Right. It's pretty important. <laughs> it's like it's like a match it's almost becomes like a matchmaking sure. thing. You know, I'm looking for this. Mm -hmm. Well here it is. Is that what you were really looking for? Yeah. Then yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it works out. I find it like a little bit of a matchmaking thing. And I bet you you probably have people that like collect patriotic, like American flags or decoys or like that, yes. all, and they are like to you know mix it with what they have and mm -hmm. make sure it all goes together. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I find you work with a lot of people who have more than one home. Yes. So mm -hmm. then you're deciding where does this go? Mm -hmm. Does this you know go here or there? And um, so you're buying with a lot more than one focus in mind. Now, are there any contemporary folk art creators that are sought after right now? That you can think of? Um, not to my knowledge. I, it's not something I really follow. Okay. But um, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> but for me, I've 
I've stuck to what I've been doing. And I started buying um, rock and roll memorabilia. Really? Like, as well. And uh-huh. I noticed that it helped folk me. Folk music? That's just a joke. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, folk and folk, right? Yeah. Um, it helped me bridge the gap a little bit mm-hmm. between the audience of like oh. youth and mm-hmm. legend, let's say. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I noticed that it, it was always like an icebreaker for me being young in the business. Mm-hmm. If they, if someone didn't necessarily know how to approach me, other than I knew you when you were this tall or yeah. this age, or I know your parents. Then it was, music was like a good icebreaker. It was sort of, oh, I used to have this album, or I love this song, or do you have any of this? And then I noticed that I had a lot of people mixing folk art and rock and roll and involving their kids, you know, and maybe um, if the wife was just a collector but the husband wasn't, there was something in it for the husband if he liked music. And Hmm. it, it kind of evened itself out. And what was good for me studying music industry was that I was still involved in music, you know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. something I'm very passionate about and it's brought me lots of interesting places. Oh, I bet. I bet. What would you consider the folk art, American folk art market still holding strong? I think so. I think, I think every market has taken a hit. Sure. It's not just folk art. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it still holds strong. Um, I think it holds strong privately, and I think it holds strong at auction as well, because those are two yeah. different things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I also believe that there's a little bit of fear in everyone right now, so sometimes mm-hmm. people will be holding on to their things mm-hmm. um, just because. And um, it's it's an, and then there's a lot of stuff that people are letting go of because it's. It's not necessarily something you need. It's something you yeah. want. So maybe uh-huh. it's the first thing to go, and so then you have to really worry about the market. Like, is there too much right now? Sure, yeah. Um, it's something, again, you have to keep your eye on mm-hmm. and really do your homework, and then that becomes a part of the value as well. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's still valuable. We know it's still valuable. Mm-hmm. We're all still here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just there's a lot of stuff going on. It's different right now. Yeah. What would you consider a real hot segment of folk art? Uh, well, I think for a while it was weather vanes. Yes, they were, they're still pretty strong, aren't they? They are, they are. I think that it's just that they were consistently in the news mm-hmm. uh, at auction and privately selling for big bucks all of a sudden. Right. Um, helicopter thefts, too. Yes, yeah, yes. People were stealing them from helicopters. Yes, yeah. and it, it was just all of a sudden, it was protect your weather vane, get it off the roof. Yeah, <laughs> put a reproduction up and yeah. store the other one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not sure the next big thing, I think, is probably on its way. Mm-hmm. What it is, we'll see. Yeah. But um, the last, and to me, the last major thing that I remember reading so much about was weather vanes and how much they were bringing. Speaking of weather vanes, um, can you talk about the show you help out with? Yeah. For the um, last three years, this year will be year four, I've been um, assisting David Shorsh and Eileen Smiles at the Winter Antique Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a blast. Yeah. It's a great show. Do you go? I have been at one time, but not for okay. several so years. It's, it's, it's a little bit of everything. And it's great, and it, it's been good for me because it's 
um, helped me get out there and meet a lot of people. Um, you meet so many interesting people coming through that show. There's so mm -hmm. many. Um, and it's been good working with other dealers, um, especially those with different inventory than what I have. So we're learning a lot from each other, mm -hmm. helping each other out. Because I think camaraderie is really important in this business. We should all Absolutely. You know, look out for each other and be helpful. And I think the mistake a lot of people have made in the business, this is just my opinion, Okay. <laughs> is not sharing knowledge. I agree. Because uh, how important is it to get more people involved? And when you hold knowledge back, you're turning away people. Well, I agree. And I think that is becoming a part of the problem with getting young people involved in the sure. business mm -hmm. is that we've shut them out and we don't even realize it yeah. because I think working at these shows, I, I see one side of it and then going to shows, I see the other side of it and I notice how much, cause I'll go a lot with friends who are my age mm -hmm. and they want to learn and they're, they're getting their feet wet and they're seeing what's out there and um, I, you see certain dealers want to, are very eager and want to be helpful and give you knowledge mm -hmm. going through the shows and that's important to get the next generation interested. And then I also see a lot of dealers who just, um, eh, you're too young. You're not there yet. Like yeah. it's not that it's a waste of time, but it's not overly helpful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, let me, let me teach you. So maybe one day this will be great for the both of us. Mm -hmm. you know? I think one of the things that's important to teach, and I bring it up almost every single podcast, <laughs> is what's what's what determines a fake. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that you see plenty mm -hmm. when it comes to carvings and things like well, that. Well, yeah, and they're out there. They're, yeah. I mean, they're out there. And it's, it's a shame that um, they still are yeah. because there's so, so many of us in the business that know what it is and isn't and it should just stop circulation you know if, if we could do that <laughs> cease and desist <laughs> um yeah but i mean you see it and when you see it if it happens to your client or it happens to say mis mistakenly yeah it's 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 devastating yeah it leaves a sour taste in everyone's mouth and that's yeah. not good it stops a lot of people from collecting absolutely and they get burned or something. Yeah. Yeah. What would you suggest if someone is just, like, has an interest? How can they buy safely so they're not going to buy a fake? I think that they have to educate themselves to a point. Mm -hmm. I think they're, um, you know, where they get their knowledge from is based on how I think they would learn. Do they want to watch watch something on TV, do they want to read about it? And then I think that they have to kind of go around to shows and go to s shops. And mm -hmm. I think eventually they would have to trust a dealer. Yeah. You know, and I think that they would have to talk to as many people as they possibly could and find out what made them comfortable and where they get their trust from. Because I think they have to trust themselves as well. Mm -hmm. And to know that they could have confidence to buy something and have confidence to work with somebody. And, you know, every now and again, something does happen, but it's how you react to it. That's, you right. know, they, Hey, like this happened. It's okay. We're moving on. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that you have to give yourself some knowledge and you have to trust yourself and trust who you work with. Mm -hmm. Getting back to what folk art is, 
Can you explain to our audience the different segments in what we considered folk art? In other words, carvings, uh, other other textiles. Yeah, because um, I mean, if you think about if you've gone through the American Folk Art Show, mm-hmm. um, you'll see a little bit of everything. But you'll, you'll you will see weather vanes. You will see uh, paintings, whether they're portrait paintings or paintings of scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll you will see carvings. You'll see um, you'll see textile. Um, and I, then there's so many other divisions of it, like because to a point there's like marine, there's yep. you know the burl, there's uh, rustic. Burl like burl. Well, all the burl wood. And, burl uh, yeah. bowls. And yeah, like mm-hmm. uh-huh. I mean there's so much within the genre yeah. mm-hmm. that um, you'd have to go and see it all in one place. And I always thought that was nice about the folk art show hmm. was that you could see what it all means, and even the museum. Like the carousel figures. Yes, I love those. Right, and and there's a I, there's so much. Yeah, there's just so much. And there was some incredible talent. Yes. Now, have you ever have you ever dealt with uh, Bellamy eagles? Any Bellamy? Clowns? I personally haven't. My parents have, mm-hmm. so they have been in the house, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I personally have not. No. That's a market that's really changed. I mean, for a while there, they were selling for huge amounts of money, mm-hmm. and then it kind of tumbled down a little. Well, bit. and I remember that. Yeah. I honestly do. And I and I remember clients who had them in their house and, and I remember being, you know, a little kid mm-hmm. and those prices were impressive then. Yeah. You know, but yeah. you don't hear too much about them right now. Right now, yeah. John Haley Bellamy was a carver out of Kittery, Maine. Right. Yeah. I've uh, been past the house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you come to Maine, it's one of the places you could check out. Yeah, that's right. You have been involved in one way or the other in the business, you've seen all the changes. You've seen when the um, Antiques Roadshow started. You yes. saw the internet start. You yes. saw <laughs> social media, um, advertising changes. Can you talk about the progression and, and how that's worked? Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about it because it's our everything's happening now is like instant gratification. And I think my generation has been such a huge part of that is how do I get this right now? Yeah, exactly. And, um, and I noticed from, from when I was a kid till now, how much it has changed and how much has changed for me. There are some things I'm trying to keep up on myself and Mm -hmm. this is my norm, you know? So I noticed now how Facebook is coming into the antique business Mm -hmm. and that, is unbelievable because if you yeah. think about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the, those things would not belong together. Um, Antique Roadshow, I think, was really great getting exposure. I think it opened up to an older audience, and the younger audience only probably within the last few years has gotten interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only say that because I talk so much about it with my friends and only now have they started watching it. But now we talk about we talk about history detectives, we talk about pawn stars, we talk about American pickers. There's so many other mediums out there now that are exposing people to antiques and art in general. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. Um, where I think it could cause trouble is there's always the producer that steps in and 
adds the fluff and the yeah. glitz and glamour and all that kind of stuff. And some of these things never take place in the business. They right. help the show, but that is not a hundred percent of what the business is. I will tell you something. I have an opinion about that. I watched one of the shows. I don't even know if I should say which one it is, <laughs> but, um, to give you a clue, the people bought something in a storage area, but it's not Storage Wars. It was another one. Mm-hmm. And the way they were approaching their items for sale to the people that would buy it, and the people that were buying it would never, ever act that way if the camera wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was uh, the negotiating. Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. The negotiating does not happen. If you're out there and you're watching that stuff, negotiating does not happen like it does right. in a lot of those shows. Right. What I appreciate about American Pickers is... That is essentially how the antique business started. Everybody was like a picker, mm-hmm. like on your way to becoming a dealer, you know, and fi- ha- getting on the road and just finding things and bringing it to light. And then it's basically the start of it. And then it just goes from there. Um, and what I always appreciated about the road show was the wow factor of, oh my goodness, I can't believe I own this. And I had no idea what it was worth. Mm-hmm. But the only bad part about it was everyone thinks that they have that. It looks that similar. Item. To yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. And this is and they're and and so then it has made um, and I you probably know this when you do appraisals and different things very difficult because mm-hmm. that um, sword is like the one that sold for I mean was worth ten thousand. Mm-hmm. You hear that? Yeah, yeah. and it's just like it. You know, not yeah. everything is that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are those moments they do exist, but not yeah. everything is that. Um, so, I even noticed when I got out of school, I graduated in 2004, I would say more antique dealers were starting their websites. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, everyone has redone their website yep. to, to change it and, uh, you know, kind of keep up. But While we're on this subject, just quickly, what is the URL of your website? Uh, we are mancoamericanfolkart.com. And that's M-A-N-K-O. M-A-N-K-O. Mm-hmm. And um, we keep it pretty simple. We show a small sampling of what we have. Um, we try and update it every few months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that we offer a place for people to call or stop by because we keep an open shop right near the home. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, it's just it's where we have folk art. Have a little bit of rock and roll on there, and oh, you do on the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how do you advertise? Uh, I advertise in Antiques and Fine Art magazine and Main Antique Digest, and um, I took over the advertising end in the last like six years. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I was really adamant about was how do we get young people interested? And from reading these publications from a young age until now at 30, what I always felt was missing was like the interaction of a person and an object. Like mm-hmm. I always thought it was strange that they would take these photos of these people's houses and their collections, but you never saw the people. Yeah. And I respect the privacy, but it, there was nothing personal no about it. Other, or yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then I just kind of felt, well, if you want young people, you, they have to see young people. And and so the other thing was I was really officially starting in the business. And I had heard from so many 
you got to get your face out there you've got to get exposure and I just thought okay well how do I do all of these things mm -hmm. and so I started putting myself in my ads to get myself out there to show youth to introduce like the next um, generation mm -hmm. to show the basically we've gone from mom and dad you know Ken and Ida to Kate and this mm -hmm. is me and this is still us and here we are and I've heard so many good and bad things about it. Why bad? Um, I think that it's really, um, people maybe don't get it. And I guess what I find frustrating about it is... Because you're in a picture with a piece of folk art. Yeah, and, and maybe it's, and there's always some sort of thing going on. We'll put like a quote or a scene mm -hmm. or, but it's really about like what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And, um... I think that's it, a great idea, actually. Well, and it has a story. And so, mm -hmm. to me, it is a piece of art. And so, if if you collect art or you're in the art market, I mean, it's it's different. And that's usually what you have to accept about art. And, you know, so I think the point is, is if we're selling one-of-a-kind pieces and we're, everybody has to have that one-of-a-kind and be different, then... That's essentially what I'm doing, and I'm continuing it on with everything. It's part of the whole lifestyle, really, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I appreciate ads of beautiful pieces, but if a piece doesn't speak to me, it gets lost. Mm -hmm. So to me, showing more than just a piece in an ad is getting people to, like, just think and kind of think okay well what's going on here well there's all kinds of stuff well maybe we should call her like and it's it's opened up a lot of lines of communication for me and that's good and that's good for someone getting started in the business because you have to feel like you could be approached mm -hmm. and that they can talk to you and um so yeah speaking of that we were talking during the break for a minute mm -hmm. about the intimidation factor can you yes. talk a little bit about that one of the things i've always noticed is just how intimidated uh, people who have had limited exposure and knowledge in this business, how they don't know that they could just go to an auction and sit. They don't have to bid. Mm -hmm. and that they A lot are of people well. think there's a fee for going to an auction. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've been asked that right. many times. How much does it cost to go? Right. Yeah. They have no, you know, no idea. And and I think it, it's intimidating because they don't know if they're welcome or not, and they don't mm -hmm. know what it's expected of them. There is no, nothing on an auction website that says, all are welcome, please come, you mm -hmm. know, bring your friends. Or And not that it, an auction wants to go to that necessarily, but there's nothing that says you can come here and educate yourself and get exposure and leave and... Nothing's expected of you because I think you're going to get the fever if you go. You well, know? you know, the worst thing that can happen to an auction or an auctioneer's nightmare <laughs> is to look out and there be no one out there. Absolutely. And I have I went to a really big auction one time and counted 14 people with beautiful items there. This is in California, so mm -hmm. it can happen. It can. And uh, I have to tell you, I've had this kind of silly, but I've had dreams before a big <laughs> auction that nobody shows up. My dad had an auction one time. Where the printing company that was putting out the brochure mm -hmm. put it out too late, mm -hmm. a week late. Uh, no one got a brochure. There was a major snowstorm on the day of the auction. 
And so my father found out just like the day before the auction that nobody got their brochure. Yeah. Oh. So he put he put an ad on the radio, mm-hmm. and the word got and there was a major snowstorm, and the word got out that oh Willis had us is having an auction, and it's not advertised, so everybody was there. It was one of the biggest crowds I've ever seen oh. with the snowstorm and everything. So it's kind of funny. I don't know how I got off on that tangent. Well, no, because I was just saying that like. It's important that a lot of people go, and so yeah. what you had said was that the worst is if no one's there. Yeah. And um, it's great to learn at an auction. Absolutely, because you learn about prices, and you learn about you learn about other people who might be like you who are there. Yeah, and you see what they're buying, and, and a lot of times people share their knowledge at an auction. Sometimes it's after they buy something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, if something's going. As like a sleeper, you yeah. know, it's going affordable price. It would be too easy to lean in and say to somebody, you should buy that. Like yeah. you're going to make money. You won't regret it. Yeah. You know, whenever you decide to sell it, maybe it's not selling here right now, but it's going to sell, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where it, it is. If you're sitting next to a lot of people and you're in that environment, it becomes friendly. Yeah. And I, w- and I will say this because I try to go to shows outside of just the folk art realm Mm -hmm. just to see like what it's like and what the dealers are like and what the audience is like and it's it's very interesting because it's not that youth is just lacking from here (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's lacking in in general yes um and i find i find it frustrating when um it, sometimes it feels like it comes down to money, and that there is truth in that. It it can be expensive co- to collect, mm-hmm. but it also, I think, if you have a passion for it and you want to buy something, you figure out a way to make it work and to grow into that. And there's yes, certain levels people absolutely. collect on too. Absolutely, and I and I speak from experience because I've been collecting since I was five. Mm. And my tastes have changed, the things that I've bought have changed, the prices have changed. Mm. I mean, if you think that if you're five and you could afford a piece of folk art, <laughs> I mean, I can't buy, go back and buy it's a lot of chores. Right. Yeah. It is. It, it's teeth and uh, <laughs> from tooth fairy money. Tooth fairy yeah. Person. And, you know, I mean, grandparents, whatever. But, um, you know, I, and I also remember just because like going to swap meets and flea markets and different things and people seeing me as a little kid and they would just give me stuff. Hmm. I had a lot of things that people would just give me and that helped me get interested. Yeah. Sometimes you have to give somebody something mm-hmm. to, to start something, yeah. you know, yeah. whether it's Christmas or especially since it's near the holidays now or, you know, something for a birthday or a major event. It's this, I want you to have this piece. You'll figure out what you're going to do with it in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you'll find your way. And it's just getting your feet wet, I think. When I was nine years old, I had a paper route. I was pretty young for a paper route. <laughs> and there was an elderly couple who had no family. They didn't have any children. And the first, it was 50 cents for the newspaper. I mean, I'm going back a long way. And the first time I went there, they gave me these two old quarters mm-hmm. and they said, if you want to collect coins, we'll give you old coins for, for the paper. That started me collecting coins, which, of course, later uh, um, someone stole the whole collection. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't talk about that. But, but anyway, uh, 
Well, let's throw out a couple of other opinions you have. Okay. <laughs> about collecting and people starting to collect. Okay. Um, well, I like. I think it. Ha- I think it has to start somewhere. I think what's so interesting about this business is you either. I really think you're born with the bug or you're not. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's true if you're a collector or a dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I agree with that. I think it's in you. I think you really can't wake up one day and just think, I'm going to be an antique dealer because mm. you'll, you have to be able to survive. Yeah. And what so many people don't know about this business is if you're self-employed and this is all you do, this is your, this is your life and you live with it. I mean, you, you are what you sell. Um, and if, that's your income. That's your livelihood. It's 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 everything. And you have to live the business. You do. That's, I've said that many times. You do, and so um, and you know you invite total strangers into your home. <laughs> um, you don't. You never know who you're working with, uh, and that's what makes it so interesting and fun. But it's so different than any other job. Oh, I know. Try to explain this to someone um, that has no idea yeah it's and I have friends and I think even you know family who are I just they still don't get what I do <laughs> you know they don't they don't understand how how do you you know how do you live and yeah. what do you do every day and how do you like motivate yourself to go and do this and how do these people find you and where are they you know <laughs> and it's so many unanswered questions but it works and it, it keeps the world spinning and it keeps us going and it just it just happens, but I, you you either you know want to collect or you want to deal, and I think that's you do it till you die. Yeah, you know. I, I don't know. Really, I'm not qualified for anything else. Right, and yeah. you know, can you really go from this and then go to like a something completely different? It would be Nine almost impossible. Yeah. yeah. And I really think you really can't even retire from this. You really do it till you die. Like, I think I've tried it a few times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know what you will keep of yours until the very end, until you're ready to let it yeah. go and sell it or, you yeah. know, whatnot. But, I, I mean, this is something I think. All right. Let me just one more question here. Mm-hmm. What is that one piece that you are going to have until you die? Oh, God. Have you found it yet? Have I found <laughs> it yet? I don't know. I don't know that I have. And I and I, I don't think that I'm specifically looking for it, but I'll know it when I find yeah. it. I have. What's I, your favorite thing you have right now? I, right now, you're sitting next to it. Oh, that is so cool! <laughs> Can you describe um, that? Yeah, I have this. I bought at a at an auction. Oh gosh, nine years ago, and uh, I like. I, I'm big on carvings. This is pretty much life size if not bigger yeah. of a female uh in a bathing suit blonde hair i mean and looks she, like a totem pole when yes you first it is and it was found it was found actually in the woods and it, on the back of her is all what, different carving can you explain what you mean by that found in uh, the well i guess it was part it was in a like a park oh okay. and so she, um whoever brought her out of the woods <laughs> and I found I found her at an auction and I mean to me she's she's fabulous and she she's like nine feet tall totally. yeah she's like a yeah she um and she could stand alone or she could stand with a collection you just got to have enough ceiling space but to me she's 
she's awesome. Yeah. Like it's a wonderful piece. Yeah, and she's a conversations piece. Um, and she she to me is folk art. Um, yeah. And I like I love her, so I'll live with her for however long, and right. <laughs> you know until it's a, a, some sort of an offer, but. Um, I, damn, damn those offers. Like, yeah, damn those offers is right. Well, all right, you twisted my arm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this is a great one to go out on, and thank you. have been absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for joining the podcast. <laughs> absolutely. So this is Martin Willis with Kate Manko, and we're signing off. On our website, antiqueauctionforum.com, please stop by the forum message board. Click on the community tab at the top of the menu bar and you can join in on a topic, post your own website links, and do a lot more. Thanks so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's show.